Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Hello, Encounter. How are we doing? Hey, it's good to see you all tonight. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Phil. I know I'm up here most of the time doing announcements, so you might like know what I look like, um, but maybe that's all. So <laughs> tonight, I'm excited for you to get to know me a little bit. I'm excited for you to get to know my heart, and, uh, and I'm just excited for what the Lord is going to take from here out here um, for y'all. So, uh, yeah, let's, let, we'll dive right in. Hey, who, um, who loves a good story? Do I have any, like, readers out there? Or, like, yeah, I've got some readers. Who loves, like, really good movies? Yeah. Hey, good movies, okay. Um, yeah, I like both, depending on my season of life. But I think, uh, as I was kind of prepping for tonight, I think what makes a good story is something that captures you and takes you from one place to another without you even realizing what that journey was. Does that make sense? You know, like, when you get to the end of the story and you're like, oh my goodness, what just happened to me? It's a good story. Um, You know, I think of stories like Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, where you you start off in the Shire and it's beautiful and it's light and, and... and airy, and you got some awesome, just nice music, and you end up on Mount Doom, and it is dark and dreary and dreadful, and there's so much story that's happened in between that, right? Um, it's a beautiful story. I think about Lord, I think about Harry Potter, right? When you start in a little, like, a cub room, cupboard room underneath the stairs, and you end up with this epic battle scene when a teenager fights, like, the most dangerous villain of all time. Crazy, and so much happens in between those two stories. And I think sometimes we think of those stories, we think of the favorites on our list, our Mount Rushmore of movies or books, and we think those are epic stories. Those are the stories that make a difference. Those are the stories that change lives. And I think sometimes we fool ourselves maybe into believing that those epic stories are the only ones that are worth being told that the stories with the big battle scenes and the beautiful cinematography and, and, and all of that are the ones, are the only ones that change lives. Um, and tonight, I'm here to tell you um, maybe to reconsider that a little bit. Um, bringing you guys into just like where I am at personally in my life and, and as I've been kind of prepping for this, uh, Ben kind of mentioned it last week. Last week was a really heavy week. For people in our community, people in our ministry, um, there's a little girl who, who passed away um, that was very, very close to my family. We were, some of our best friends um, are, are, are the parents. And so last week was really heavy for me and, and my family. And um, when we, my wife and I had to figure out how to tell my six-year-old daughter that her friend just died, we were kind of like stuck. We like didn't we, we, we didn't want to traumatize her, right? You know what I mean? We also didn't want to, like, completely ignore it um, either. And so um, I'm just, like, so proud of my wife. She came up with this idea. I don't know if any of you guys have seen um, the show Bluey. Um, yeah. Uh, 
for those of you like babysitters in the room, you probably know what I'm talking about. But Bluey is a, is a kid's show. And y'all, these like, these little shows are like eight minute long, okay? And it's like, and it's, it, it's actually like low-key funny. Like as an adult, I will watch them. Um, you can tell like the, the people who write it are like moms and dads who have actual kids that age. They, and, and so there's, there's eight-minute stories, and one of actually our favorite stories of our whole family is the one where Bluey goes camping. And Bluey goes camping, and he meets, and she meets this other dog named Jean-Luc, and Jean-Luc is French. And they, they don't know how to communicate with each other because Bluey speaks English and Jean-Luc speaks French. But they're little dogs who just, like, want to play with each other. And so, so they do, and they build a friendship, and they, like, plant trees together and, like, play games and communicate by, like, drawing. And, um, and, and you get to the end of the story where Jean-Luc has to leave, and he gives her, and he gives Bluey a hug, and Jean-Luc knows that he's leaving, but Bluey doesn't. And Bluey wakes up the next morning and, and goes to Jean-Luc's campsite, and he's not there. And so she's just, like, really bummed that, she, that her friend is gone. And she, um, and she goes and, and talks to her mom about it. And her mom just has this really beautiful, um, she sets a really beautiful picture. And this is what we actually used to, ta- to talk to my daughter about um, Shiloh's death, was that sometimes friends come into our lives for a little bit of time. And we don't know how long they're going to be there with us. Um, but they change our lives for the better. And we have the opportunity to look back and be grateful for the time we did have with them. And so Bluey's mom said, you can be grateful for the time you had with Jean-Luc. And y'all, like, when I, I've watched that episode a million times, probably, um, I never correlated death with that, with that analogy. But the way that that little eight-minute story allowed me and my wife to... Um, have a really hard conversation with my daughter completely changed the way that she embraced um, something that's really horrific, something that's really hard. Sometimes it's the stories you didn't even realize have a meaning that becomes the most important ones. So tonight I'm here to tell you that God created you and me and he created our lives as a narrative, as a story. And I believe that your lives are going somewhere. And I believe that your lives are communicating something along the way. And your life, big picture, is a magnificent story. It's meaningful. It's powerful. It matters. And I think God created us and our story to exist, to proclaim proclaim, um, his great and glorious realities. Your life is a good story. And God's a good author. And so tonight, as we dig into that, as we dig into our story tonight, I want us to, to look at it through that lens of, of our lives being a good story and God being a good author. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John 9. We're going to um, have it here on the screen as well. And we'll go ahead and read it. As he went along, um, Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God may, might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one could work. 
While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash it in the pool of shalom. And this, this word also means sense. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I have three points I want to hit tonight um, about good stories. Good stories, our first one, good stories have sad chapters. Good stories have sad chapters. Um, Jesus comes out and he sees a man that cannot see him. And y'all, I want, sometimes we can read this, this story in the Bible and we could picture, it's hard for us to picture that like as a real man, right? And I'm not talking about some like fable or story or like, oh, this could have happened. Like this happened. Like there's a real man who was blind from birth, um, sitting outside begging for money. Um, and the disciples asking him, the first, the first few, like, few verses in this were, were kind of hard for me to grapple with a little bit. The disciples asking him if it was his sin or his parents' sin that caused him um, to be blind, like, kind of left an ugly taste in my mouth. Um, like, why would you, like, it's kind of mean, right? Like, why would you ask that? Um, why would you ask about somebody who's struggling, obviously, so bad in front of you? Um, and I dove into that a little bit, and I think, like, I, if we think about it, like, maybe, I'm hoping, that their intention might not be as ugly as, as that question seemed. I think about uh, maybe in that day culturally, what was taught, um, what was taught by the Pharisees was that, you know, if somebody has an ailment, if somebody was born with a handicap or somebody was born different, it was because their parents was, you know, sinned in some capacity, right? Or, um, or, or they sinned in some capacity. And so there's like, there's a cultural context we have to look at it as well. Um, and then also like in a realistic context, like again, if I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, sometimes there are consequences to our foolish actions, right? Like if you, as a pregnant woman, spend every day of your pregnancy drinking and smoking, your baby's going to come out with, with having some, something happen to them that would not be the case otherwise. Does that make sense? Like, there is a direct correlation to that choice and what might happen. I'm not saying, you know, whatever. You guys get what I'm saying, right? If you choose to spend your night drinking and you get in a car and you drive, there will be a consequence to that action, right? So again, if I'm giving them the, the benefit of the doubt, that they're not asking that maybe in a judgmental or, like, harsh tone. Um, I, I think we can look at this um, in, um, in a positive light. And, and God's answer is something that I had to chew on this whole past week. Um, and, and I'll be honest, like, me having this kind of in my peripheral as I was dealing with the grief of last week was good for me to wrestle over because Jesus's answer, um, Jesus' answer was that, hey, this wasn't, this wasn't his sin that caused this. This wasn't his parents' sin that caused this. Um, but this happened. His blindness from birth happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Good stories 
have sad chapters. And I think sometimes when we are in um, a sad chapter, I think we can go around in circles and spend never-ending time trying to figure out why am I in this sad chapter? Why is this happening to me? Like, why? What, what, what is the purpose of this? And I think God's purpose for our suffering is more important than understanding the cause for our suffering. And I think when you're in the midst of it, um, we're asking those questions. God, what are you trying to do? Um, and Romans eight twenty eight says, we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have, been who have been called according to his purpose. And I think maybe his purpose in this, like his purpose might be to step in and do something miraculous. In your, the sad chapter in your life, the purpose that you might be going through whatever that sad chapter is, is, is maybe, maybe God's plan is to step in and just do something miraculous. Like, and, and, and sometimes he does that. His character always points towards restoration and, and redemption. So that is, that is, go, does go along with, with his character. Um, and, and he does this with the blind man. He steps in and he heals him. Um, but I also think sometimes, um, I think sometimes maybe his purpose um, is to show his power and our weakness um, as he sustains you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, like, Paul begs God to remove this thorn for, from his flesh. And God says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to show you that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In your weakness, I'm going to work through you. In your weakness, I'm going to draw you closer to me so that in your weakness, my glory will be on display. 2 Corinthians 4 says, For our light and uh, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now hear me out, guys. I know Ben, ben talked about suffering last week. Um, when you are in a sad chapter— the last thing you want to hear is somebody, is, is like, like they said last week, is somebody to say, oh, you know, there's a bigger purpose. Or, oh, you know, like, God has a plan. Um, and, uh, and honestly, this, this, this 2 Corinthians verse, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you were in your sad chapter, when you are just, just heavy with grief, it doesn't feel light and momentary, right? It feels all-encompassing. It feels like you can't even picture what it looks like to wake up tomorrow and have things be different. And, 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 and I relate to that, you guys. We, um, my wife and I, um, when we got married— we decided to wait for a little bit to have kids. Um, we were young and wanted to live our life and travel and enjoy just the fruits of marriage and, and being best friends with each other 
And so there was almost like a moment in time where we like decided, I don't know, like alongside some of our friends who are our age that were like, okay, cool. I think now's the time. Like, let's start having kids. Um, and guys, that journey was not an easy one for us. Uh, we struggled with infertility um, uh, for a long time. And when I tell you, like, being in the depths of despair is, is something that I would not want to wish on anyone. In the same way that that blind man would not wish blindness on anybody else, there is something about being in a sad chapter, that, like I said, that is all-encompassing. You guys, and, and, and it was years of, of miscarriage. It was years of false positives. It was years of nine of our closest friends, like couples, getting pregnant and then getting pregnant again. And it was, it was months of, um, month after month of seeing a negative pregnancy test and unknown answers from the doctors. And it was frustrating. You guys, when I tell you I've never been so low in my life, um, I, that is, that is being, that is an understatement. Um, but I think looking back now, um, there's, there's something to learn um, during that season. I have just a little, just a quick, like, just something to show you of our beautiful kids that we have. Um, they are the light of our lives. This is LSG 6, Nico's 2, and Jude is 2 months today. Um, and you guys, when I look at their faces, um, they are gifts that I could not imagine when I was in that sad chapter. When I went to bed, I couldn't imagine waking up that next morning with any other reality than what we were in. But you guys, our story is so much bigger than just that one sad chapter. If our suffering is going to have ultimate meaning in our life, you guys, God must be greater to us. If your suffering, if your sad chapter is going to have ultimate meaning in your life, God must be greater to you. He must be more valuable to you. He must be more beautiful to you than whatever it is that threatens, that the suffering threatens to take away from us. Does that make sense? He has to be more valuable to me than my marriage. He has to be more valuable to me than my kids. He has to be more valuable to me than my money, than my job, than my health. Because when he is, I am able to endure that. I'm able to persevere. I'm able, and God is assured to get the glory from that. Y'all, we did not get through a season of infertility on our own accord. If it was up to me and my wife, we would probably be divorced. We'd probably be seeking our, our like, our wholeness in, 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 in things of this world. Because, y'all, when you are that far in depth of your sad chapter, God is the only thing that can sustain you. And that's why when we read the Bible and we, and we read about people who endure insane suffering for, for the hardship and, and, and hardship for, like, the glory of God, it makes sense. It's because Jesus was worth it for them. Paul endures 
shipwrecks and beatings and floggings and prison time, how does he endure it? It's because he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the purpose of this man's blindness and the purpose of mine and yours suffering is that the works of God might be displayed in him and us. You guys, imagine like the hardest thing you've ever gone through, the saddest chapter in your life that you've ever gone through. And then Jesus just walks in and just heals it. If that happened today, if there was a blind man sitting outside like Cape and Auditorium that was sitting there for 30 years and he just is like healed today, we would lose our minds. Like it, it is a really big deal. The crazy thing is that God doing this miracle, like, it, it, it isn't even the biggest miracle in this chapter. But, but the beautiful thing is that he doesn't, um, he heals this blind man, and, and we'll read a little bit more to see what happens to him, but he isn't done with him yet. He continues to do miracles in his life, and that's why you can walk through sad chapters. Because God doesn't have to resolve your suffering in one beautiful, succinct chapter. That chapter could be five chapters long. It could be 20 chapters long. It could be the whole book. But the ending is going to be so worth it. Second thing we know about good stories is that good stories change you. Good stories change you. So what happens with, with, with this blind man, he, he continues to, um, you know, he goes and the Pharisees hear about what happens to him and they call him in and they grill him about what happens and they, and they just ask him all these questions and they bring in his parents and they grill his parents and his parents are scared and they're like, hey, I don't know, he's of age, like you, you ask him. So they bring him in um, and, you know, and they're just... They're mad, and they're, they're mad because Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath. So they're saying, okay, this guy's a sinner, and Jesus, he's, you know, he doesn't do works in the name of God. He's a sinner. He healed you on the Sabbath, so obviously no good can come from him. Um, they're crazy. So, um, but it's a mess, you guys. And they, and they bring him back again and question him, and here's what they say. Verse 24, um, it says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that this man's a sinner, talking about Jesus. And he replied, the blind man replied, and he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You guys, I just, I hope that this can be encouraging to you. You live right now in a culture, like your, the climate of the college campus right now is very different from the climate that it was when I was a student. Um, there is just so much around you, like just pressures of knowing every single little thing, um, pressures to, to if, it, you know, if there is any wind of doubt for you to, whatever, deconstruct or, or rethink, rethink your faith, all these things. And, this, and, and I love the simplicity of this man. And he's like, look, I don't know. 
<laughs> I honestly don't know much about what this guy is, but I do know. What I do know is that I was blind, and now, now I can see you. When confronted with this difficult question regarding what happened to him, this man responded with something that couldn't be disputed, his personal experience. He said what was objectively true. He was once blind, and now he's not. So this man has like this huge life-altering miracle happen to him. And even though he didn't have all the answers, he chose to believe and tell his story. And most of the time, our own stories don't have these incredible huge events. Sometimes they do, and that's awesome. But God shows his redemptive faithfulness in our lives in small ways over a period of time. In Lord of the Rings, a lot happened between the Shire and Mount Doom. In Harry Potter, a lot happened between the cupboard and the final batter of of Hogwarts. In your life, a lot happens between chapter 1 and chapter whatever. God shows his redemptive faithfulness in our lives in small ways over a period of time. When God redeems our broken story— Um, most of the time we don't have the luxury to like sit back and have this wide, like zoomed out frame to understand how all of it is connected, to pause and to remember every step of the way. Sometimes we get to a point and we know our life is different, but we don't have much more of an explanation than that man had. I was blind, but now I see. A few years ago I got to uh, make this video of my friend Haley, and she used to be on staff here, um, and she has a beautiful story of redemption, um, of God sl- slowly redeeming her story, and I want you to, um, want you to, to view this, this story in the context of that. How has God been faithful? Um, God redeemed these pockets of Haley's life, and he's continu- continuing to do so. It's a work in progress, but the beautiful thing is that the life change that Haley has experienced isn't just because God wanted to help her with the sad chapters of her life. He does, he does want that, and he does do that. But ultimately, God desires full redemption for Haley's story. God desires full redemption for your story. He sent his son to die for her and you, and me, so that we might believe, so that, we, so that the sin in her life would be washed clean, that she might believe and put her whole trust in him. The rest of the story goes like this. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? 36 says, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who, will, who see will become blind. This, you guys, these last few verses are the greatest miracle in the story. Jesus healing the blind man is amazing. It's incredible. God rescuing Haley from a life of fear is, is, is beautiful. But God inviting us into a relationship with him through the sacrifice of his son on the cross is the greatest miracle. It's the greatest story arc. It's the greatest story ever told. So that ends us here. Last thing about a good story 
is that it challenges you. Good stories challenge you. And we're going to go back to just the first few verses here. Verse four, verse 4 and verse 5 say, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. You guys, we get the opportunity to participate in the works of God. God is saying, God says, while I'm in this world, I'm the light of the world. But there's an expiration date here. He says, night is coming. Matthew 5 then calls us, calls you and me the light of the world. Jesus says, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. When I'm gone, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? We get to reflect his goodness. We get to reflect his grace. We get to reflect his truth. We get to reflect the glory that we've experienced through our own story out to other people. We must work um, while the works, we must do the work while it is day. Our book has a certain number of pages. Each one of us is different. You guys, this past week, that reality punched me in the gut. That poor little girl's book was, was just shy of two years old. A few chapters. There is a time limit here. There is an urgency that we should have with not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like. Don't let your current context hold you back. A good story challenges you to do something. It motivates you to action. So here's my challenge for you tonight. Would you consider a reality where God wants to use your story to share his glory with the people around you? Would you consider a reality where God wants to use your story to share his glory with the people around you? Are you afraid you don't know the words to say? The blind man didn't. Are you ashamed that you haven't reached the other side of your sin struggle? Haley still hasn't. God's still working on that for her. Are you bought into the lie that your story isn't grand enough to make a difference? You guys, the simplest story changed my daughter's life last week. May we walk out of here tonight challenged to share what God has done, what, what he's doing in our lives right now. The hard, the sad, the sad chapters, the beautiful ones, the redeemed ones. God, I thank you for the stories represented here tonight. God, I thank you for, for being faithful in the times where we couldn't even feel you or see you or didn't know you were there. God, I thank you for the stories that are yet to be redeemed. God, I pray for those in in the sad chapters of their lives. May they hold on to you and your hope harder than anything else in this world. God, may your glory be known on the other side of that sad chapter. And God, ultimately, would people know of your, of your glory and of your grace and of the mercy that is had on the cross because somebody decides to step out of this room tonight?
Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.